Elizabeth hears her voice, hears Mary's voice, John leaps within her. And, and all you women who have, who have carried children, you're like, oh, that probably didn't feel so good. But John leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she begins blessing and prophesying over Mary. And think about this, because for Mary, this is the first time that someone else besides herself that we know of knows and believes. Can you imagine that, how she, she is, is not alone? There's this rush of emotion in uh, 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 the hugs and the laughter and the tears. There's this, there's this bursting out of emotion. And this is when she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And I want you to know that this song is not a a quiet, sweet little ballad with with a string quartet in the background. I want you to listen to the words of the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in talking about the Magnificat. He says, it is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. Instead, it has a hard, strong, inexorable song. Instead, it is a hard, strong, inexorable song about collapsing thrones and humble lords of this world, about the power of God and the powerlessness of mankind. These are the tones of the women prophets of the Old Testament that now come to life in Mary's mouth. I hope something in you is stirring. I hope something in you is stirring right now. Because I want you to know that even in the details of how Jesus is introduced here in in, in Mary and Elizabeth, they profoundly tell us something about the nature of this king and his kingdom. He's a revolutionary king. And he's bringing an upside-down kingdom of redemption. Upside down. And you know what? It's dangerous to talk of revolution. It's a dangerous thing. But this is where he's leading us. And Mary, she knows the danger. She's walking in it. And she can't keep it in. She's bursting out of her. I want to stop for a second and, and say, why are we talking about the kingdom right now? Why are we talking about the gospel of the kingdom and it actually is, is very significant in the journey of the River Church itself. You know, we've been staring at, at, at this Look logo for, for uh, several weeks now. And, uh, you know, and it started back in, in, in this deep uh, season for us when, when uh, we were saying, man, we're all in. We're, we're going deep with the Lord. We're committed uh, at, here at the river. And, one, and something flowing out of deep is this Look journey where, at where we, as the river, are saying, Okay, God, we know, we know as the river we're about being revived in you, being refreshed in community, being released in purpose. There's this, this timeless vision that you've given us. This, you know, we, we know we have, been, we have been called to be missional people 
both here in our lives and around the world. We know that you're calling us to go deep in relationship with each other, to live lives where we're, where we're discipling each other, uh, loving each other, bearing with each other. That's a, part of, that's, that's a part of who we are. But with all the needs surrounding us right now, you know, so many needs, too many to shake a stick at, right? What are you calling us as the river body to pour our, our resources into? Another way to put that would be, Lord, what is breaking your heart right now in this community and the communities around us? What is your heart yearning for and longing for, for us as the river to be a part of? And so we're calling that a time-sensitive vision, saying for the next five to seven years, what is a vision that you want to give us, Lord, that we as the river body can walk out and pour our resources into. And one thing I want to say about, about the, the kind of vision that we're, we're desiring from the Lord is, it's not something that we cre- can create. We can't create it. It's something that have to, has to be received from Him. And, and a vision is much more than just a mission statement or words on a piece of paper, because a, a, a vision is something that stirs something inside you internally, that, that, makes you, that makes you so ready to do something about it, that makes you so excited and passionate. It's not just another thing to do, but it's something that stirs emotion and passion in you so that you want to tell people that you don't even know about this vision. It's something, it's something that stirs us. Uh, and, and you know what? It's, it's like I said, it's not just words. It can be a song. It can be a picture. It can be a rhythm. Uh, it, it, it can be an emotion, an experience. So we're, so. What we're doing, what we're, we're, we're actually starting, inviting you as, as, the, as the river community to go on a, kind of an exciting adventure. Because what we're saying is, Lord, through individuals that are a collective body, would you give us a vision for, for, for this church? And that process is going to be you uh, in, in that secret place of, of, of devotional life with the Lord saying, would you speak to me? And we're asking you to, to write that down, to to. to, to to, to write those songs and sing those songs, to paint those pictures, to, to write in your journal the interactions that you're having with the Lord and His Word. As families, we're asking you to intentionally press into the Lord saying, Lord, would you speak to us as to what you're calling the river to? And then we're going to also uh, invite you over the next two months, so this is, all, this is all happening in June and July, over the next two months to at least one time, I hope maybe two or three, connect with, with two or three other people, uh, get together, pray a little bit, and then walk, physically place yourself in the context of somewhere in Waltham or the communities around the river. And would love to start, you know, it, just in the neighborhoods right around Waltham. Maybe you live in Waltham and you want it to be your neighborhood. We want to invite you to just walk around and look and listen, not even talking to people, not, not even asking questions, but walking around, calling these listening groups. And just listening and saying, Lord, where's your, where, what do you see? Where's your heart in this place? What are you calling us to? And then coming back as that, that team of two or three, praying, writing things down, and, 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 and forwarding that, that what, what, the, the things that you're receiving from the Lord to a central place. And so we started a, 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 an email address called look at the riverwaltham.org. Okay, look at the riverwaltham.org. And uh, this week in the MailChimp, in the, in, the, in the weekly Staying Current email, there's going to be a, a, a link for you to get a little guide that will help facilitate this process over the next couple months. 
of, of journeying together. And uh, man, if you're, if you're an artist, we want to create a, a little gallery where we can display paintings. Uh, uh, Dan and I were talking about uh, having a little MP3 player where we can pl- be playing songs out in the foyer that you've, that you've written and recorded. So go crazy. And, and uh, if, if, if you're not a journaler and, and that's uh, a stretch, it's okay. It's okay. We're just talking about two months, right? Two months. So, so this, is, this, is, so this is, is, is the journey that we're on as the river. And over the next uh, few weeks, we want to be looking at the gospel of the kingdom and asking God, what is, what is the gospel of your kingdom? And, and, and what is our king like? So we want to we look through his eyes. So we have this revolutionary king in his upside-down kingdom of redemption. And one thing that I want to I say about his kingdom is this isn't a metaphor. You know, this ain't an analogy here we're talking about. This is a real king and a real kingdom. And even, even the word gospel points us to this. Uh, the, the word gospel uh, means what? Good news. Good news. And it comes from the, the Greek word evangelion. And, uh, you know, prior to the Middle Ages, so, you know, Old Testament, this word didn't even exist. So prior to the mid, mid, Middle Ages, this term didn't, uh, didn't exist. And, and actually, you know, when you hear evangelion, you think, you know, evangelical. I'm an evangelical believer. I mean, that's, that's a word you might want to not identify with that with that phrase because of some of the political stuff that's going on. But anyway, that's an important term to us. And, uh, you know, prior to Christianity, the word evangelion had a significant meaning, and it, and it held as much meaning and as much emotion in that day and age that, 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 that the scripture is, is written here as it does today for us, but it meant something totally different. You know what it meant? It meant the announcement of a Caesar, the, the, the proclamation of the birth. It could, be, it could be the announcement of a new Caesar or the proclamation of, a, of, of the birth of a divine king. So, so when, you, when, you, when you're talking about an evangelion, you're talking about in, in this Roman Empire, this is when the, the, the whole emperor worship was, start, was starting up. This is a significant concept here, the announcement of a divine king. And so when the angel appears to Zechariah to tell Zechariah that, that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son in their old age. He says in, in Luke 1.19, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. So when Zechariah hears Evangel, he's thinking good news, but he's thinking a whole lot more than good news. He's thinking a king is coming. A king is coming. A real king all right, let's, let's continue to look in our text uh, here in Mary's uh, Magnificat at the nature of this upside-down kingdom. I want us to look at verse 50. She says, His mercy is on those who fear Him. And I want, you to, I want us to stop and think back about Neil's message uh, last week. What was the, what was the, the crux of, of Neil's message last week? Does anybody remember the crux of his message? He had kind of a funny tagline. <laughs> you may Sir Mix-a-Lot, God is not. Now, that's probably the only time Sir Mix-a-Lot is going to be brought into a sermon. But, but, but Sir Mix-a-Lot, God is not, meaning God does not mix the profane with the holy. He's not a, du- a duplicit God. He is holy. He is wholehearted. He is completely just and righteous and whole. And there is a soberness 
in that, in that recognition. Uh, and the, 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 the sentence that kind of closes out that scene that, that Neil led us through when Ananias uh, uh, died, it said, Great fear seized the whole church and all those who heard about these events. There's a, there's a soberness and a holiness uh, of this fear. And, and something really significant in the narrative of, of, of what Luke is bringing here, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know how they were described, how they're introduced? Listen, listen to the words that, that introduce uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Mary, as she's introduced, it, 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 she's introduced as a virgin, and not only, not only is, that, is that something that is treasured in, in, in sexual purity, but we also see a, a woman whose heart is tender and who is receptive to the word of God. In the very next chapter, as Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple, they meet a man named Simeon, uh, who's, who is full of the Holy Spirit, and, and Simeon recognizes Jesus. And listen to the description of Simeon. Now, there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Righteous and devout. These little, these little, these little vignettes and these people who are, are, are longing and waiting for this king are not coincidental. Uh, the, the, the Lord is, is, is bringing this, this, this reality that holiness before him is very significant. And, and when, you, when, when I read... You know, this description of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and I hear, you know, the righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I'm, I'm like, wow, they're perfect. <laughs> but that's not true. That's not true. I don't know if you can read this, but I, but I, ha- what I, I have, this is, this is uh, an interlinear uh, version of Luke 6, which means it gives the Greek in the order of the Septuagint. So the Greek order of the words of the Septuagint. This is BibleHub.com. This is a super cool tool. You can click on, on these numbers, which are Strong's concordance numbers, and it, it could give you the etymology and the root meanings and the translations of, uh, of these Greek words. And I want you to look at the, at the, at the order of, of the way this was written in the Greek. They were moreover righteous, both before God walking and all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And this week, as I, as I looked at the, at the order of, 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 of this wording, my mind immediately went to Genesis 17, as God is, is reiterating his promise to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, walk before me. And what is the result? Of, and, and that before, I think I've talked about this before, that before means in the face of, in front of. Walk before me, before my face, engage with me. And what will the result be? And you'll be blameless. You'll be blameless. Abraham believed, and this was, this was before circumcision, Abraham believed and it was what? Accounted to him, credited to him as righteous. So when we read about Zechariah and Elizabeth, is this their righteousness? Absolutely not. They're walking before the Lord by faith. And it is credited to them as righteousness. You know, in, in terms of justice uh, 
flowing out of the Old Testament narrative, one of the most significant hopes and expectations of the Messiah King is that his authority will mean a permeating, restorative rule of justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. And one, say that, and one thing that we see throughout the Old Testament narrative is that Yahweh's concern for justice, which is a righteous outworking of his character in our daily lives, it's not just a moral concern for the individual, but it's also social. It's, it's society-wide, systemic. Uh, it's not just an individual pursuit of moral holiness, but it affects the way we as cultures, we as people, collectively operate and live our lives. And another important thing to, to know about, about you know, as, as God is framing all, all, all of everything that's leading up to Jesus being introduced is that Yahweh cares little about the external rituals of faith in the absence of heart-based devotion and obedience. All this religious stuff he's not concerned about if our hearts are not connected to him in simple faith-filled obedience. So as, we, as Luke gives us a little peek into, the, into, into these individuals' lives, Again, it's not a, these, these vignettes are connected. And we're reminded that a sober recognition of God's nature and how he defines what is right and just and humble submission to his demand of holiness is important as our king. But we can't, we can't do it ourselves. Same promise to Abraham belongs to us. And, 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 and that's why Mary in this passage says, it's his mercy. It's his mercy. And she immediately goes to, to, to verse 51. She, she, she says this, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their utmost thoughts. Now when a Jew when a Jews talks about the mighty deeds of God's outstretched arm, you know, what's immediate, you know what they're immediately thinking about? What are they thinking about? The Exodus. God's delivering Israel out of Egypt. And actually, there's, there's a, Psalm 136, which is, which is a recounting of, of the Israelites being uh, um, redeemed out of Israel. And after every, little, after every little detail of the story, there's a proclamation of his love endures forever. A lot of Mary's song is coming from Psalm 136. Listen, listen to a few lines of this song. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever who struck down great kings, who remembered us in our lowest state, who rescued us from our foes. Mary, as she's singing, she's thinking about redemption. And it's an important aspect of this announcing of the king and his upside-down kingdom that in the thousands of years before Jesus' arrival, God chose to set the stage and frame redemption in the context of the Exodus in Israel. So for a Jewish person, the Exodus defines redemption and the concept of a redeemer. And I, I feel like, and this, this is something personal, but I feel like it's something that, that we uh, possibly all tend towards, and that is we, we as uh, Christ followers, we have, we have this wider scope of, of, of what the Exodus means, Right? We have this bigger picture. It was more than just about the, the, the redemption of, of an enslaved people. 
But the, but the ne- if the next step is to equate, okay, what God was really saying was that he was going to save me from my sin. That's true. He's gonna, he wants to save us as individuals for our sin. But it is, it is a, there is so much wider a scope of what redemption means for us as individuals and as a people. And, and, and so as God is accomplishing a real redemption among a real people in, in the Old Testament, I think it's important for us to say, okay, what time out? What are they being redeemed from? And I'm going to read uh, from, uh, from a book uh, called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. I'm going to read a passage from this book. Just listen to this. I think this is really powerful. This takes a little bit of time. Uh, but the Exodus was a real redemption. It was a real act of the living God for real people who were in real slavery, and it really liberated them. They were liberated from political oppression as an immigrant community into independent nation status. They were liberated from economic exploitation as a slave labor force into freedom and into the freedom and sufficiency of a land of their own. They were liberated from social violation of basic human rights as, vic- as a victimized ethnic minority into an unprecedented opportunity to create a new kind of community based on equality and social justice. They were liberated from spiritual bondage to Pharaoh and the other gods of Egypt into undeniable knowledge of and covenant relationship with the living God. There's a lot going on here. And, 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 and what we're not saying is that, that, that the gospel is only about you know, a political revolution here on earth. That's not what I'm saying here. But there is, some, there, is, there is such a wider and a deeper meaning of Jesus' coming kingdom and our redemption in Him. And, 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 and let, me, let, me, let me just uh, stay here. Okay, so when we're talking, when, just bring it to the river. When we're talking about revived in God and refreshed in community, we're talking about a revolutionary, redemptive act of God that affects our internal individual entity, identities, and our identity as a people, as citizens of a king who has and is redeeming us and is also through us bringing redemption, justice, wholeness, reconciliation. These are things that he's doing in us. This is a part of his upside-down kingdom. And uh, as I was thinking about, you know, kind of the danger of what I feel like can, can be a, a gospel that we're, we're, we're drawn to, I thought about this. This uh, pop song, uh, I was going to sing it, but it's too cheesy. <laughs> this pop song called Photograph, where this guy's talking about, you know, you can have my picture and put it in the pocket of your, of your ripped jeans and, you know, just remember me and know that I'm with you and then I'll, you're never alone. This is my Jesus. I can get him out and remember him. And, and when he calls me to do something that I'm not comfortable with, I'm just going to put him back into the pocket of my ripped jeans and, uh, and remember how cozy and, and comfortable I am and he's coming for me. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's not the revolutionary gospel that we are called to. So are we, are we willing to embrace more than just a, a personal relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to, to be invited and to follow him into his kingdom? And I've been, I've been wrestling with uh, writing out a concise version and the, and the emphasis on concise version of, 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 a, of a definition of what, uh, how, how in, a, in a sentence, how could I encapsulate what is the kingdom, what's the gospel of the kingdom? So here's my, here's my first attempt 
at, at, at this concise uh, definition. And I, I, want you, I really invite you to track with me because it's a long sentence. But the redemptive, restorative exertion of the ruling authority and power of God to bring freedom, wholeness, healing, and rec- rec- reconciliation to those who serve him as king through the victory of Christ the Son over death, sin, and Satan. Through the renewal and empowering of the Holy Spirit and through intimate access to the Father. A work that is centered around the humble, the repentant, the broken, the weak, oppressed, and poor among the nations. And it's the, it's, it's, it's the last part of this, of, of this definition that I feel like is the most upside down to us. And uh, it, we, only, we only have a few minutes here. And so know that, that in the coming weeks, we are going to be unpacking the, the, the upside-downness of the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear the, uh, this upside-downness in, in, the, in these last few verses of, of Mary's song. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. And he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry good things, the hungry. They're the ones who are being filled. He sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. He's scattered the proud. He's brought down rulers and thrones. He's lifted up the humble, filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away. And one thing that I invite you to do, uh, uh, and one thing that I forgot to mention that in, the, in, this, in this time of, of us pressing into the Lord and asking the Lord for a vision uh, uh, as a church, uh, uh, for ministry, uh, I want to invite you to, to camp in Luke and in the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, one thing that, that, I, that I noticed this past week that just blew me away, if you go through Luke, and I invite you to do this, just go through Luke and make a list of the characters, the people who are, are a part of all the stories. Just make a list of all the characters. And when you look at that list, who, who dominates that list? It's the sick. It's the unclean. It's the paralyzed, the demonically oppressed. Uh, widows, orphans, children, the imprisoned, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, Gentiles from the nations, and some, some Pharisees, some lawyers, some rich young rulers mixed in there. Mixed in there. But it's the vulnerable. It's the ones that we would say are weak or, or low. That's who Jesus sees. That's who his kingdom is centered around. We have, we have this revolutionary king who is ushering in an upside-down kingdom. And one, Ben, if you'd be willing to come up, uh, one thing that I want to say uh, real quick and again, this is, a, this, is, this, is a, this is a journey that we're on. So we're going to talk about this more. But, you know, physical poverty is not synonymous with humility. Vulnerability is not synonymous with humility. Humility is a, is, is a choice of, of choosing to humble ourselves before the Lord, to submitting to who he is and what he wants to do. And, and uh, you know, vulner, vulnerability or oppression does not automatically equal righteousness, Right? But the, tr- but the reality remains that God's heart, is, there's, there's, a, it's a magnet, there's a magnet to those who are broken and calling out. 
and, and that magnet is engaged when they say, Jesus, help. God, help. And heaven begins to move. And you know what? We get to be a part of heaven. We get to move with him. And so right now, I want to ask you guys to to stand up. And I want to invite you guys to respond in in this moment. And and three places um, where we we can respond. And would you be willing to do the king is among us for our ministry time? Um, Three ways to respond. One is, I feel like, and and man, this is the next step in, in this gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's called us to live a lifestyle of repentance. And so I want to invite us, and I'm including me in this. I want to invite us to repent where our hearts have been hardened to the upside downness of his kingdom. In the places where we might want religion because we can control it, we can make it fit into our priorities and our goals rather than letting this radical king destroy this scaffolding of religion, uh, 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 of me wanting to control things and bringing his kingdom. This is something the Lord has, has really been, been convicting me of, of the need to repent for despising small things, even in my own life and in the lives of others, small things, weak things. He's calling us to cherish those things to humble ourselves and embrace those places. You know, there's a, there's a blessing in hunger. Mary says, he's filled the hungry with good things. And in places, in me, I don't feel hungry. And I think we can repent. There's an invitation to repent. God, I don't feel hungry. I don't want these things. Would you work your hunger in me? Would you, would you recreate my taste buds? Repent of pride and the pursuit of power, wealth, and a human-centered wisdom. You know, our goals, the things that we stress about, are they the things that he stresses about or does he even stress? <laughs> and you know, I don't want to preach the next message, but as, as people are coming to be baptized and, and John the Baptist is saying, repent, or they say, okay, what do we do? And it was a pretty simple thing. He said, get rid of your stuff. Don't be, don't be hypocritical. Be wholehearted. Be real. Repent. And walk justly. Do the, do, mirror who you see your, your God as. Simple. That's not, that's not easy. So repentance and then receive. Receive, re, receive this king. Receive the, 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 the vision of his kingdom that he wants to bring. Receive what's on his heart. And then the last step is Mary. Mary, when, when, the, when the angel came to her, what was her response? Be unto me according to your word. I'm your servant. Believe. Believe. And then walk out this, this tumultuous, wrestling faith in obedience. Believe and obey. So repent, receive, believe and obey. And so I want to open up the 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 the, uh, the front here.
for you to kneel in a place of, you don't have to kneel, but to come in a place of submission where you are. Call out to the Lord and, and, and open your heart up to his kingdom. Amen? Let's respond.